I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is JobMakers. For time immemorial, we've been hearing the same messages. Immigrants take this, or immigrants increase that, or immigrants abuse this. I say time immemorial because the same thing said of immigrants today were said of immigrants a hundred years ago. No matter the group, whether Irish or Italian, Mexican or Haitian, those already living here uttered the same things. For Alex Narasta, the Cato Institute's Director of Immigration Studies, he's heard it all before, over and over again. So last summer, he compiled a quick and easy publication anyone can download called The Most Common Arguments Against Immigration and Why They're Wrong. You can get it at Cato's website or libertarianism.org. In it, Alex lays out in simple terms researched responses to anti-immigrant fabrications like today's immigrants don't assimilate like immigrants from before, and immigrants are a major source of crime, and immigrants won't vote for the Republican Party, this is the first part of our conversation, and some of what you're about to hear might surprise you. Alex knows that. But getting truth and facts out there is paramount in advancing sensible immigration policies that benefit all Americans, new or old, as you'll discover in this week's JobMakers. Alex Narasta from the Cato Institute. Thank you for joining us on JobMakers. How are you? Great. I'm uh, doing well. Thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to this. So you recently released a report on the most common arguments against immigration and why they're wrong. Why did you feel the need to do this? So I've been speaking and writing about immigration for over a decade, and I basically get the same questions every time. And I figured... You know, these questions are probably, you know, the ones that everybody has about immigration. So it would just be very convenient for everybody if I wrote down my quick answers to all of them with citations and links to other research to give people out there who are, you know, getting these questions but don't have the benefit of having done like years and years of research on each of them like I have. So that's what basically gave me this impetus, sort of like a cheat sheet for everybody to know sort of what I'm thinking whenever I get these questions. One of the biggest misconceptions that I found in your report was the one on voting, that immigrants are automatically gonna vote blue. That is necessarily true, and California is a good example of that, California and Texas, the two states with the largest immigrant populations, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, it's California and Texas, and interestingly, you know, part of the argument against voting or, or the idea that immigrants and their kids are going to vote for the Democratic Party in perpetuity, right, or forever, um, is it's partly focused on immigration, of course. It's also focused on largely Hispanics. It's the idea that Hispanics, whether they're native-born or foreign-born, are just this, this, this permanent blue voting block. And, you know, if you look back at history, If you look at what's going on today with political realignment, I mean, that's just simply not true. There's so much evidence to the contrary that it's kind of um, it's kind of overwhelming. But what we really hear is this this crazy narrative about how this is, uh, you know, some new voting block imported by the Democrats, supposedly to create sort of Democratic Party dominance, which I don't know when that's ever existed since, you know, the new since the 1960s. So 
Um, and I can talk about sort of why. I mean, you know, the, the history of this is, is is kind of fascinating. So I'm from California. And when I was young in 1994, there was a debate, a um, statewide proposition that everyone gets to vote on called Prop 187, Proposition 187. And Prop 187 did two things. One was that it denied welfare benefits uh, and other government benefits to all unlawful or illegal immigrants in the state. And then the second thing was is it told every single state official that if they suspect that somebody is an unlawful or illegal immigrant, they have to report that person to the INS at the time uh, for deportation. And what happened was in 1994, this was pushed by then Governor Pete Wilson, who was a Republican. Uh, he was facing a pretty hard reelection campaign in 1994 in California. You know, the economy wasn't doing well. Um, the end of the Cold War really hurt a lot of defense industries in California. So he was facing like an uphill battle. And so he sort of latched on to this Proposition 187 as a way to galvanize voters to support him so that he could win reelection. And what's fascinating is you take a look at this. In 1990, when Pete Wilson first ran, he basically split the Hispanic vote on the state level with Democrats. Basically, he got like 47 percent. The Democrats got like 48 percent. 1990, it switches. He basically, the Republican, Pete Wilson, got like 25 percent. Democrat got like 70 percent. But Pete Wilson barely pulled it out because he got so many more votes from, from Black Americans, uh, white Americans, and Asian Americans. But then you fast forward to like 1998, and uh, you see that the Hispanic vote for Republicans keeps going down. It goes down to like 17%. And a state like California, where the Hispanic population grows from like 10% in 1970 to 40% around the year 2005, that's a devastating shift. And basically what happened was the Republican Party in California and my home state decided we really needed to win this election in 1984. Let's piss off the largest demographic in the state that's growing the fastest and, uh, you know, be surprised when we lose basically every election after that, except when Arnold Schwarzenegger's running. So you concluded based on this that it's how immigrants vote depends on, on how the party treats them, particularly Hispanic voters. Yeah, surprisingly, right? I mean, no, I'm just joking, right? I mean, it's obviously not surprising. You know, human beings are, um, you know, they don't want to vote for people who hate them. James Carville, who's a Democratic strategist, has said this like point blank. If um, voters think that you hate them, they won't vote for you. You talk about assimilation, and that's, of course, one of the biggest uh, myths when it comes to immigration, that today's immigrants don't assimilate as immigrants from the past did. How are they wrong? So assimilation, we basically measure it as whether, you know, the immigrant or the immigrant's kids or grandkids, like how similar they are to Americans who've been here for a much longer period of time on issues like uh, education, income, civic participation, which includes like voting, volunteering, uh, whether they nationalize, whether they call themselves American and consider themselves to be American. And on these measures, from survey questions that go back, in some cases, over 100 years, what we see is that basically by the third generation, that is the grandchildren of the immigrants themselves, their grandchildren across the board on, on average are um, basically identical to Americans who have been here for four or longer generations in terms of all of these measures. Now, some groups take a little bit longer than others. 
you know, a lot of Hispanic immigrant groups, because when they come here, they have a little bit less education, takes a little bit while to earn that education and pass it on to their kids. Um, that can take three, sometimes four generations. With Asian immigrants, it's basically the first or second generation because they typically come here with higher education levels. They already speak English when they arrive. And that sort of jumpstarts assimilation. And then what we're also seeing is a lot of intermarriage. So a lot of Hispanic immigrants or Asian immigrants, they will marry a non-Hispanic or non-Asian American. Their kids will be mixed. Their kids won't self-identify as that ethnic minority or racial minority. And because of this sort of intermarriage, what happens is that basically pushes along assimilation. It speeds it up by like an extra generation. So I have to call it assimilation at the altar. Um, and that's something that happened in the past, right? That's what happened with Irish, with, with Italian immigrants, with German immigrants. Like if you notice, right, through this conversation, a lot of what we're seeing today is what people were noticing like 100 or 130 years ago with the immigrant groups that were coming then. It's just happening with a whole new group of people in the United States. And, and it turns out it's just it's not that different. And in some ways, it's a little faster. So it took on average the Irish about five generations to assimilate by our measures. And that's probably because the Irish, when they came here, they were like especially poor, especially devastated, especially sort of poorly educated and coming from a real backwards part of Europe at that time. Um, they've caught up. Ireland's caught up. But back then it was like really backwards by comparison to the United States, right? Like they didn't even use money in large parts of Ireland because there was basically a feudal economy where you would pay your landlord in produce that you made from your farm. And then you get shoved into like industrial age New York crazy right crazy transition but if you think about it today like an immigrant from from mexico or from india or from nigeria you know they don't have to learn how to read a clock <laughs> they don't have to learn uh what you know how to use money they don't have to learn how to rent an apartment like they know all these things already and they have some exposure to american uh culture through tv and music and everything else so in a sense there's a ton of pre-assimilation going on around the world because American culture is so dominant. The English language is so dominant globally um, that it really helps jumpstart that process. So if I were like looking backwards at time from the year like 3000, I would say the assimilation trends in the United States around the year 2021 are far superior to what they were in the United States in the year like 1921. I'm just that much more optimistic about it. That's fascinating that Clearly, this has happened before. This is a natural phenomenon that happens when people move. And whether they came from Ireland or from or from Italy or from Guatemala, it's probably going to follow the, the same the same trajectory. Um, one of the other biggest misconceptions that you address is on crime. And it's it's interesting to note that as populations in, have increased in the US, let's say in metro areas, violent crime rates have gone down. Yet we've seen this mushrooming of immigration to the U.S. since uh, the late 60s. Tell me a little bit about that. And how, how do you counter people who come with other statistics about immigrants and crime that totally contradict yours? Yeah. So what you said is absolutely right. Going back actually to the sort of late 19th century, there have been about half a dozen different government commissions that have studied the issues of immigrant assimilation in the United States. And most of these commissions have been stacked against immigration. They've been um, uh, put together by Congress and basically nativists are put on the boards to study these things. And, but what's remarkable is every time from the early 20th century, from the Dillingham Commission, which you know recommended quotas 
to keep out Southern and Eastern Europeans because they were genetically, you know, genetically inferior, supposedly. Up until like the Barbara Jordan Commission in the 1990s that took a look at immigration, also stacked with a bunch of people who were anti-immigration on that commission. Every single one of them has found, you know, they, they say a bunch of negative things about immigration, but they have all admitted that immigrants are much less likely to commit crimes than native-born Americans and much less likely to be incarcerated. So this is something that goes back over a century, this finding, and continues to today. In fact, when you take a look at the census data, because we do have census data on crime, and we take a look at those who are incarcerated in American prisons, the foreign-born population is below that. Uh, the foreign-born population in prison as a percentage is below the percentage of nationwide population. And we know that for a fact. That is uncontested. What other people say, though, is, you know, I may believe, Alex, that legal immigrants have a much lower crime rate. But then they say illegal immigrants have a much higher crime rate, though. And they say that because, well, they broke immigration laws. So they must be more likely to commit, like, other crimes, right, or, or, or to commit crimes rather than just these immigration law violations. And Ann Coulter, in her book, Adios America, which, and I say this ironically, is actually a great book because you will understand what an anti-immigration person thinks about all this stuff, like in very clear detail. I learned more from that book, I think, than any other book on immigration, to put it like surprisingly. And what she said is, you know, illegal immigration is a huge source of crime. And the reason why you know that is because no state counts criminal activity or convictions or arrests by immigration status. And she has this funny line in her book where she says, like, listen, American... Census Bureau people know how many pigs are being raised on American farms, but you're telling me they don't know how many criminals who are arrested or illegal immigrants? Of course, they're hiding it. And she says they're hiding it to cover up, you know, some some great thing. And what's hilarious very, about it is very, very scientific, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very scientific criticism. Right? It's just, you know, like right wing um, or, you know, it's just like this nativist sort of like paranoia. Right. But what's fascinating is she's right about 49 states. 49 states do not count uh, crime uh, or convictions or arrests by immigration status, but one state does. And that's the state of Texas, which is like the best state to measure for this. It's a border state. It has like the, it's one of the greatest numbers of immigrants in the country. Second greatest number of immigrants in the country are in Texas. The second largest unlawful or illegal immigrant population is in Texas. And a lot of them are uh, Hispanic, which when people talk about crime and immigration, they're, mo they're mainly talking about Hispanic immigrants. They're not really complaining about Asian immigrants. They're complaining about Hispanic immigrants. And even better, Texas has been governed by Republicans for about 27 years nonstop. So there's no argument you can make about some kind of liberal conspiracy to cover up illegal immigrant crime, right? Like they want to report it. And what does it show? It shows when you take a look at the Texas state data on this. You take a look at uh, crimes, uh, criminal convictions committed by people by immigration status. You find that illegal immigrants have a criminal conviction rate about 37% below that of native-born Americans. And legal immigrants have one that's 57% below um, native-born Americans. And that's you know, as a percentage of each subpopulation. So it's like, just to give you an example, like the, the native-born American criminal conviction rate in 2019 
was 1,190 convictions for every 100,000 native-born Americans. For illegal immigrants, it was 749 convictions for illegal immigrants for every 100,000. And for legal immigrants, it was 510 for every 100,000. So it's just like clear as daylight that these numbers um, line up in an incredible way. And when you take a look at even, you know, different crimes like homicide, when you take a look at uh, sex crimes, when you take a look at larceny, when you take a look at all these crimes, you go down the list and about the same relationship holds. You know, immigrants, legal immigrants and illegal immigrants are much less likely to commit homicides and be convicted of them or arrested for them. Uh, Larceny, it's the same thing. Sex crimes, it's the same thing. So this is just across the board. We take a look at this and this is and this is what holds. And, you know, people people spend a lot of time arguing about why this is the case. But we've come to the point now where people don't really dispute that this is the case, that legal immigrants and illegal immigrants have a much lower crime rate. This has been like a sea change in opinion the last couple of years. But I finally convinced people, even Mark Corian, I even convinced him. He has this great quote in uh, Dallas Morning News where somebody uh, asked him about my paper and he said, Oh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, evidence that illegal immigrants have a much lower crime rate than native born Americans. The only response they have is, well, one is too many. Mm. And if you want to talk about how to allocate scarce law enforcement resources to diminish crime, knowing which populations by immigration status are the most dangerous is worth knowing. Because we only have so many police officers, so much, so many resources to develop to this. And if you really want to make an impact on crime, you should police more the native-born population, which I'm sorry to say us native-born Americans are super crime-prone and super more likely to kill each other than you should police illegal immigrants or, or illegal immigrants. That is such a powerful point. It, it, it better resonate because, I mean, the, this is what the data has consistently shown. And to remind listeners that, for instance, uh, authorized immigrants, people who are hoping for their green cards, for instance, they walk a very, very tight rope when it comes to committing crimes. Um, they can be instantly deported if they commit certain kinds of crimes. So they have they have additional impetus to stay um, on the side of public safety versus U.S. born who don't have that um, kind of risk. Yeah, that's right. So, so Gary Becker, who's a late Nobel Prize winning economist, under uh, he studied the economics of crime. He said, you know, if you want to understand deterrence for crime, you need to you know, sort of multiply the chance of being caught times the punishment. And that will basically be the deterrence. And the thing is, for any crime, any immigrant, whether lawful or, or illegal immigrant, uh, unlawful or legal, who is not a citizen of the United States, the punishment of being caught for convicting, committing a crime is much greater because the punishment is they get to serve their prison sentence and then they get deported and being deported is not technically a crime under us law, but from the perspective of the immigrant, it is oftentimes a much bigger punishment than being imprisoned. And as a result of that, the deterrence factor is enormous. And as a result of that deterrence factor being enormous, people who decide to become immigrants are just going to be those types of people who just don't really want to commit crimes because they're thinking ahead. And the one thing we know about criminals is they don't really think ahead. And immigrants, one of the things we do know is, you know, they're doing it for the future for themselves. And they and they really think ahead. They do it for the future. They want to establish a better life for themselves and their kids. Putting that in jeopardy 
they don't want to do that. That's not in the equation. And thinking long term, I mean, that's a fascinating way to put to to, to position immigrants. Um, and that's really very true. It's like an investment. You know, it's like it's an investment that they make in themselves and in the United States as a result. The median immigrant who comes here to the United States from a country around the world can expect a fourfold increase in income adjusting for cost of living. Right. That is like tremendous. I've never had a job where it's like one job to the next. It's a fourfold increase. Right. I, I just can't imagine. And, and a fourfold increase for somebody from 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 Latin America or from Africa or from Asia. That's a lot bigger difference in terms of the standard of living than a fourfold increase for me would be right. Like you increase my impound by a factor of four. Like I'll buy another house, you know, or something like that. I'll fly first class. OK, that's nice. Right. But it's not going to be the difference between me sending my kids to school or not. It's not the difference between having like a doctor see a doctor when I'm sick and not. It's not the difference between me being able to retire at some point and not. That's what the fact, that's what these people face. So it is tremendous investment in themselves. And as a result, they invest in the United States. Um, and that's better for all of us. Better for all of us. They want better paying jobs. They want to climb the ladder. They want to make more money. They pay more in taxes as a result. Immigrants and refugees give back more than the benefits that they initially received. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant contributions, issue topics, and research produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for today's gripping discussion on the facts to combat all those anti-immigrant messages. If you have feedback or know someone we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. We're going to be off for Thanksgiving, but back on December 2nd when Alex Norasta discusses undocumented immigrants, anti-immigration research, and Ann Coulter in the next Jobmakers.